0: Uh, So, full confession, uh, I am extremely distracted in this moment, very frustrated, and part of me is really sad right now. Of all things, technology hasn't been cooperative with us this morning, and so right now I can just know that there are a lot of people that are trying to live stream the service that are probably frustrated because they can't find anything and nothing's on the, on the internet available for them. We have church family members. We have friends that are watching this from all over the world over the past several weeks. And right now, it's just not available. Doggone it, I can't figure it out. So that frustrates me. I wanted to get it up and going. And so I'll have to play around with it today, probably. Sorry, baby. Uh, I'm going to have to figure something out so that I can get this message out online just as quickly as I can following the service this morning. So those that are waiting and watching, sorry, we'll figure it out. We'll get it fixed before next week, I can assure you of that. For those of you that are here, thank you. Man, y'all look so good. It is so much different preaching the message today with your presence as opposed to a whole bunch of emptiness. The downside is that is I can't midway through the message just be like, ah, you know what, I don't think the the way this feels, I'm going to start all over again. Or maybe I just will, who knows. Let's figure this out together. Grab your Bibles, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. As you're turning there if I were to simplify today's message and condense it all down into a singular sentence, the sermon in the sentence would be, it's not enough to know the Bible, we must also live it out. Not enough to know the Bible, we must also live it out. As you're looking for your place in Scripture, let me ask you, have you ever struggled in your relationship with God? Has there ever been a period or a point in your life when you've wondered, is this relationship with God the real thing? Has doubt ever flooded your mind wondering, do you truly know God? If so, then the good news is today this message is for you today we're going to look at what john has to say because john launches into an explanation about how we can know that we truly know him and so knowing jesus changes everything in our lives and so in first john chapter two the question becomes how can we know if we truly know him and then that question becomes complicated when we begin to understand and realize that that word "know" means many different things. So what are we actually talking about? Knowing God. For instance, if I were to use that word "know" in a sentence like, I know that, well, I have just expressed to you that I know facts about a particular subject. If I were to say, and I can never imagine in my life that I would actually say this, but if I were to say, I know all about fishing, then within that statement would be the assumption that I actually know how to catch fish. I don't. If I were to say, I know Daryl, that could mean many things. Am I saying that I have the ability just to to recognize him and point his face out In a crowd of people Is that statement a statement of friendship Is that just merely An acquaintance Like what have I really said when I said I know Daryl If I were to say I know Plato Well Plato's dead So what does that mean I don't know him personally Well that would probably means that I understand The philosophy of Plato If I were to say I, I, I know what you mean Or I know how you feel well, that in and of itself is a statement of empathy. So, so what does it really mean when we say to know Jesus? Well, the Greek word that's being used here in the text is a word called gnosko. Gnosko. Gnosko means grasping the full reality and nature of an object under consideration. I'll give that to you again it's grasping the full reality and nature of an object under consideration so this knowledge goes beyond just fact regurgitation it is a knowledge that ultimately leads to life transformation so in our text this morning john is going to make a transition from the subject of knowing god to the subject of knowing god he talked about fellowship and walking with god Now he's going to go to the subject of knowing God. I believe it is a logical um, uh, transition for him to make. Because true fellowship naturally leads to knowing the one with whom that fellowship exists. So it would be wrong for us to view this next section as if John has just completely abandoned his thought of walking with God. I I think that this is a natural transition because knowing God is the logical continuation of what it means to truly walk in the light. And so 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 3, John writes and he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Truth is not in him. Now, to fully understand this letter, we have to continually remind ourselves that John is seeking to correct problems of behavior and belief in the early church. So every word of this letter comes in response to something that the church needed to hear. And so in verse number three, he tells believers how they can know if they truly know God and are walking in the line. And John gives us a very simple test. He says, by this we know that we we have come to know him. So by this we know that we truly know him. And what is the by this? The by this is if we keep his commandments. So obedience to the word of God is proof of our knowledge of God. So there are three motives to which one might choose to obey. You can obey because you have to, you can obey because you need to, or you can obey because you want to. A child obeys because they have to. Parents give instructions to the child, and obedience is expected because the parents are trying to guide and shape their lives. So a child obeys because they have to. We obey at times because we ultimately, we need to. Like an employee would obey the rules or the job expectations of their boss because they need to. Yes, they have to, and yes, they need to. While they might not enjoy the work that they they do, they certainly enjoy receiving compensation for that work. They, They need that money. They need that money to be able to buy food to eat, to have clothes to wear, a place to live, a car to drive. So their obedience is driven by the fact that they need to because in their obedience they can expect to receive compensation for their service. So sometimes we obey because we have to. Sometimes we obey because we need to. But as a believer in Christ, our motivation should move beyond the fact of yes, we have to and yes, we need to but it should move beyond that to a deeper level and a deeper desire and that desire being because we want to. We want to give God obedience because the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father is one that is rooted in love. In John chapter 14 verse number 15 Jesus says very clearly if you love me if you love me then you will keep my commandments. So we obey out of love. We obey because we love God and we know that he loves us. Jesus also says in John chapter 10, verse number 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So those who belong to Jesus obey him and his commands because they love him And they are responsive to his voice. Now, to be clear, John is not suggesting that a relationship with God is established by obedience. Rather, what he is saying is that a relationship with God is demonstrated because of our obedience. Sometimes there are people that will claim that they know God and believe in Him, but they are completely unresponsive to His Word and to His way of life. Such a person may possess accurate information about God and the Word of God. They may be able to debate the finer points of theology. They may have much of the Bible memorized. They may regularly attend church but their unresponsiveness to the Word of God demonstrates that their claim to know God is a lie. And it's not true. Now, there, there are two occurrences of the word know, or that Greek word ginosko, that's found here in verse number four. And this is the first of 23 times that John will use this word In this one letter, he uses this word 23 times. In fact, he uses a form of this word 42 times in this letter. 42 times. I think there's only 150 verses in this letter. So so he's driving home a, 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 a hugely impactful statement. He uses a double use of a gnosko, emphasizing the importance of knowing that one has a true relationship with God. Because apparently some people were claiming to know God, but they made no effort into being obedient to God. And so John is writing to help set them straight, to to make the record clear. If you know God, you keep his commandments. If you claim to know God, and you're not obedient to his word, and you still say that you're a believer, the reality is, You've ultimately proved not that you believe in him, but that your belief is not true, that you're a liar. Let's just deal with it. John's not afraid to call this kind of claim what it really is. He calls it a lie. Now, this distinction or this statement that John makes can, uh, can be comforting to us when we look at cases of extreme sin unless we're caught up in that sin ourselves. But it's comforting to us in, when we look at cases of extreme sin where someone is clearly living a lifestyle that reflects the values of, of the devil, right? I mean, so that, that becomes comforting because clearly someone who is outright rebellious and stiff-necked against God can't claim to know God and, and because his lifestyle or her lifestyle clearly contradicts that statement. And so we can see how this might be comforting to hear that. But, but it becomes a little less comforting when we begin to take into consideration the more subtle sins that we engage in from time to time. I mean, how obedient do we have to be? Full confession? Like, I screwed up yesterday. I sinned yesterday. A- 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 am I a believer? Or am I a liar? Must we obey all of God's commands completely and perfectly i mean if that's the case are any of us believers so so what's going on here i think clearly the bible is trying to say to us that we must not it's not that we can display perfect obedience all the time but we must have a lifestyle and a desire to pursue obedience in our lives After all, in chapter 1, verse number 8, he just said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God out to be a liar. Then you get into chapter 2 and verse number 1, and he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Then he says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. So the goal and the pursuit is not to engage in sin, but to avoid it and live a Christ-like life. But when we mess up and we, we, we struggle and when we give into that temptation, then we have an advocate who's pleading our case before the Father. So, so it's not that perfect obedience is required in order for us to, to say, I'm a believer and it be true. Because none of us are going to measure up to that perfection. The issue, I believe, appears to be whether or not we take God's commandments seriously in our lives and that we're seeking to know them and to obey them and to pursue them with all that we are and all that we have. So, so we may not keep his commandments perfectly, but if we are truly born of God, then we would have the desire we would have the intent and we would pursue keeping his commandments in our lives. He keeps on in verse number 5 and he says, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I want to Briefly, let me briefly point out a, a twofold reality of what it means or what happens when we keep His Word. So, the twofold reality of keeping His Word. First of all, when we keep His Word, the text tells us that the love of God is perfected. When we keep His Word, the love of God is perfected. Obedience to God's commands results in a rich and full experience of his love. In fact, the Greek expression that's being used here, the love of God, could be interpreted one of two ways. Either it could mean God's love for the believer is being perfected, or it could mean a believer's love for God. Either interpretation is possible. Neither interpretation dramatically uh, changes the understanding of the passage because ultimately both realities are completely beautiful. In fact, when John gets to chapter 4 verse number 16, he says, We have come to know and have believed the love which, Christ, which God had for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So so the thinking, the logic is that since God is love, then to know God personally or intimately is to know and to experience his love personally or intimately in our own lives. So when we keep his word, the love of God is being perfected in our lives, and when we seek to keep his word, we strive to live like Jesus. The text says it, that we, we ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. So Jesus gives us the example that should rule and, and guide our lives. In John chapter 2, verse number 1, we see that Jesus Christ is the advocate. He, he's interceding on our behalf when we mess up before the throne of God. So in verse number 1, he's the advocate. In verse number 2, he's the propitiation. He's the sacrifice. He's the full and final payment for our sin. So in verse number one, he's the advocate. Verse number two, he's the propitiation for our sin. And now we get to verse number six, and we see that Jesus is the perfect pattern for our daily living. Like, that's awesome. So so for for the believer, the goal of Christianity is not just heaven when we die, but it's the pursuit of Christ's likeness here and now. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, Verses 28 and 29, Paul says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And what did he predestine them to? It says that he he predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, it is with this reasoning and understanding in mind that John tells us in verse number 6. He says that the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner that he walked. Now, that word walk, in Greek, it is a word called perpateo. That is expressing ongoing action. It means there's movement. Not just random movement, but it is a continuous action. So so walk means to to keep on walking or to continuously walk. And so there's that growth and that Christ-like maturity that should be occurring in the life of a believer. So if a person says that they abide in Christ, then the text says, then that person ought to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. Now that word ought is is an interesting word because that word actually means that you are indebted to. You you owe. You, You are obligated. And so the person who professes to be in Christ, the person who, who claims to, to know God, they are obligated to walk in the manner that Jesus walked. They owe it to Jesus to walk like him. They are indebted to him to walk in the same manner that he walked. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse number 15 says, he died for all so that they may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I mean, that means that for the believer, our lives are to be characterized by a desire in the pursuit to live for Christ, to, to honor him in our deeds and in our actions, to, to glorify God through all that we do and all that we say. It's not about just saying a prayer in hopes of getting to heaven when you die. That has nothing to do with Christianity or salvation. Not at all. It's committing our lives to the Savior. Submitting unto him as Lord. Recognizing our sinfulness and how we have no right to heaven. Confessing that sin, repenting from it trusting in Jesus, believing in Him, and living a life of allegiance to Him. Seeking to honor Him in everything that we do and everything that we say. Imagine a church filled with believers whose ultimate desire was to walk like Jesus. Can you imagine what that would look like Not just to give lip service to, but actually to embrace for ourselves. So an obvious question becomes, well, how did Jesus walk upon the earth? What does that mean? What does that look like? Let me give you a few. Jesus walked believing and trusting in God. He believed and trusted in God. Jesus walked worshiping and praying to the Father. So believing and trusting in God, worshiping and praying unto the Father, Jesus walked giving and sacrificing all that he was and all that he had so that the will of God could be manifested in his life. Jesus walked seeking and following after God. Jesus walked teaching and telling other people about God. Jesus lived a life of demonstrating his love, his care, and his concern for other people. Jesus walked obeying and keeping all of God's commands. If I could funnel all of those down into a singular statement, it would be that Jesus lived his life in pursuit of pleasing no other person other than the Father. That's how he lived. He didn't live a life trying to please himself, didn't live a life trying to please the naysayers, didn't live a life trying to please please the Pharisees, didn't live a life trying to please the disciples. No, he lived his life in full devotion and commitment to honor and to please the Father. And he said so himself in, in John chapter 8 verses 28 and 29. So Jesus said, "When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he." And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Oh, man, that right there just wouldn't keep us from a life of sin. Always do the things that are pleasing unto the Father. Let's just be honest. Let's just deal with it. And let's consider for ourselves to whom do we live our lives to please? Who is it? Are you living your life solely to please God? Or are you living your life to please someone else? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's other family members. Let me tell you this if you're trying to live your life seeking to please both yourself and God, it ain't ever going to work. You're serving two masters, and that doesn't work. If you live your life seeking to please other people, that people-pleasing mentality, that's not going to work either. Because people are different, different tastes, different opinions. And if you're you're a people-pleaser, then you're going to sacrifice who you are and what you are for the sake of pleasing other people. And it is a life of frustration. But when you live your life with the sole purpose of trying to please the Father, that simplifies things. Living a life seeking to please God, if that were all of our desires, man, that would unify us. Living a life seeking to please God and God alone gives us a sense of peace and direction in living. I said at the very beginning, it's not enough to know the Bible. We must do what it says. We must live it out. So if you claim to know Him, then you must do what He says to do. You must live how He says to live. His commands are not optional. They're to be embraced and pursued in all of our lives. So if we claim to know him, then we must obey him. And that word obey, that's a tricky one. For some of us, that, that word, the word obey is just another obscene four-letter word. It smacks of submission and authority. Because when we obey, we give up our personal agenda and we do the bidding for someone else. And let's be honest, obedience may not come naturally for some people, especially for prideful people. It won't be easy. But a lifestyle of obeying the Word of God and the will of God is extremely important and beneficial as well. So what I'd like to do as we wrap up today, is I want to give you six reasons why um, obeying or complying with the Word of God, why that's important. i give you six reasons why obeying God's Word is important. I'm going to give them to you really fast. So You've got to write them down quickly. First of all, when we obey, we acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives obedience acknowledges the sovereignty god has over our lives in leviticus chapter 18 verse number four says you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accordance with them i am the lord your god the scripture tells us that we're to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That confession of Jesus is Lord is saying that he has the right to rule and to reign over who we are and what we do. So when we obey, we are acknowledging the sovereignty that God has. Number two, our obedience demonstrates uh, the love of God, or love for God, rather. Our Our obedience demonstrates our love for God. Again, John chapter 14, verse number 15. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments." So on a simple breakdown of that, failure to keep God's commandment reveals that you don't truly love God. You don't love his son. If you love him, we'll do what he tells us to do. Number three. Obedience is how Jesus lived. It's the pattern that Jesus gave for us in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 8, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. So, So Jesus learned obedience. It's how he lived his life. Remember, he's the perfect pattern for our lives. And so it's how Jesus lived obedience reveals our destiny obedience reveals our destiny Romans chapter 6 verse number 16 says do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you are slaves uh, of the one whom you obey so we're all slaves in this room you might not like that, that concept or that language but it's scriptural You're slaves to someone or something. Because it goes on to say, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So you're either a a slave of sin or you're a slave of obedience. One leads to death, the other unto righteousness. And so uh, our obedience reveals our destiny. Uh, Then number five, uh, obedience fulfills the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, not 5, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Fulfills that, because we're teaching and we're obeying all that he has commanded us to do. And then number 6, finally, back to our text this morning. Our obedience is evidence that we truly know 1 John, chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So the question that I want us to consider today is, first of all, do you know him? Do you know him? When I say do you know him, do you know him as, as, as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you... Repented of your sin, seeking Jesus Christ, his, his forgiveness, and His cleansing. And not only that, are you living your life in pursuit of what God's Word calls us to do and how He calls us to live? Do you know Him? What would be uh, one step of obedience that you need to do today? Can you think of something God's calling you or been impressing upon you to do something, to confess something, to, to uh, serve in some capacity, or, or whatever it is. Is there an area of your life that you know that you haven't been fully and completely obedient to the Word of God? What is that area? Can you identify it? Or would your testimony be today that I am walking in perfect fellowship with the Father, and there's nothing that he's called me to do that I haven't done. There's nothing that he wants for me to do that I won't do. I mean, I am good. I am perfect in my relationship. Any perfect ones here? Some of you are wearing masks. I don't know if you're sticking your tongue out at me. If you're smiling, I'll just assume it's pleasant. A life of obedience that's what God desires from us if we're going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior then the only appropriate response for us in living is to live a life that honors and glorifies him to seek to please God the Father above everyone else to live a life of full submission to his word. And so today it's what do you need to do in order to be fully obedient to the father? Are you living your life with the sole desire of pleasing him? If you're not, or you haven't been, will you confess that today and repent from that and make that your commitment today to strive to live a life that fully pleases him? If you know you're doing something that you're not supposed to do, Will you stop it today? If you know you, he's called you to do something and you're refusing to do it, will you start doing that today? I mean, what's the one thing that you can do? What's the one decision that you can make so that you can fully honor him with your life? We all can find at least something, one thing. A prayer is that we will and that we'll do and that we'll strive to honor him everything that we do, and all that we say. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be truthful. Help us to be honest about who we are and what we're doing. God, I pray that we would feel great conviction today. Conviction over our sin. Conviction over our disobedience, Father. God, I pray that we would have the courage and the strength to confess our sins and to seek to live a life of devotion and obedience to you. God, may there not be a liar among us, but may our our claim to know you be true. God, help us as a church to grow in our love for you, to grow in our love for your word, and, and to grow in our love for living it out. God, in this time, I pray that you would Be with us as as we go and as we depart and as we seek to get about normal routines and living as difficult as it is right now. May we not be frustrated with it all. May we trust in you. May we know that you're sovereign in and through all of this and you're sovereign even now. So God, while chaos might be around us, it doesn't have to be within us. May we stay firmly rooted in your word, trusting in you, seeking to live a life that pleases you in all things. In Christ's name I pray.